Zeitgeist Turkey, coming to you weekly from Istanbul. Your smart guide to the state of Turkey. And I'm John Sachuki. We are coming to you from a socially distanced and isolated Istanbul. Yes, we are at our offices and nobody is here but us. We will record this podcast and immediately dispatch to our houses. As for me, I'm sitting here with my latex clothes and I came here in a taxi uh, with my mask on. And you were laughing because you thought that maybe it was too much, no? <laughs> I was laughing, but you know, come to think about it, I think uh, there's you can't do too little in times like this. You need to take every precaution that you can. So, uh, as it sits in, it makes more sense. But I think the best way, of course, is to you know uh, go back and and stay inside. The problem for me is that I have a seventy-year-old nanny at home and a four and a half-year-old uh, daughter. So that's sure. why I'm taking these precautions. I don't want to go back home with any kind of virus on my hands. I don't believe that the sense of urgency that we have in Istanbul or in other large cities is present across the country. Because, and I'll give you some numbers uh, going forward from the most recent poll that we did, it appears that the, the sense of urgency is not there. So I think revealing the number of infections and number of tests per city would actually increase the sense of urgency and encourage people to, to social distancing and, and self-isolation. And I think going forward, that's one thing that we need. Now, there are two curves to watch. One, obviously, we want the, the rise of the infections to stay below a line, which is the capacity of the health system, right? Now, in order to do that, you need to increase self-isolation and if need be, you need a lockout. As long as we can keep the pace of infections below the capacity of the health system, then we are okay, then the number of deaths will be at minimum. On the other hand, if this number rises very quickly above the capacity of the health system, then unfortunately we will have more uh, number of deaths across the country in the coming days. One thing is clear, we cannot limit the number of infections or the percentage of the population that's going to be infected. However, what we can limit is the pace in which they are being uh, infected. And why this is important? Because this gives um, the scientists the needed time, the required time to come up with a vaccine or medication. That and also the health system's capacity to cope with incoming infection, infected uh, patients. Will not crash. Will not crash. Exactly. It will be sustainable. So that's the, that's the trick. That's why I think we need to know, let me increase it, we need to know three things. One, what's the capacity of our health system to the particular needs of uh, COVID-19 patients? Two, what's the number of tests? And three, what's the distribution of the infected? I think knowing these three figures will help us on the communication side of fighting this, this uh, crisis. So let me give you some numbers about a poll that we did last week between March 15 and March 17. And the poll ended before President Erdogan made his appearance uh, on TV for the first time since the uh, outbreak. He asked 1,500 people across Turkey about what kind of uh, precautions they take 
vis-a-vis -vis the virus, you know, uh, if they're worried or if they find the, uh, the government response uh, adequate to the outbreak. 29% uh, of the population said that they are either not worried or they're just a little worried. So I think that's a big number. This number has to go down dramatically. You know, 19% on top of this says, you know, I'm neither uh, worried or not worried. Uh, so a good 50% uh, of the population is rather indifferent to what's to happening. To the virus. To the virus, to the outbreak, to, the, to this state of urgency in the country. So this has to change. And the way it can change is if, I think, the officials communicate more data and geographic-specific data uh, to the people. That's, that's how I think uh, this can be uh, overcome. And these numbers are reflected in what kind of precautions people take against the outbreak. For example, we asked the people, which of the following precautions do you take? 46% uh, uh, says, you know, I don't mind going out of the house. I don't control myself going out of the house. So 46% is in fact uh, not trying to isolate themselves. That's a huge number. Uh, no, 43% says, you know, they go to friend gatherings. Uh, you know, 60% says they keep seeing their relatives, uh, which is the dangerous part, because when you talk about relatives, you talk about, you start talking about the elderly people uh, in the, in the, you know, the larger family. family, and that's, as you know, is the risk, uh, the primary risk group. Now, and I think this is something that the government needs to address, uh, only 26% says they don't go to work. Now, this figure is very low. And the reasons, I think, are twofold. One is a lot of private sector has not shut down. And understandably so. I, I understand uh, the reasoning behind that. But I think uh, they need to come up with solutions where either employees are able to work from home or they are allowed to take leave but paid leave. And this is very difficult, particularly in the current macroeconomic uh, environment condition of Turkey, so the government needs to step in to, to enable employers to allow paid leave to their employees. Maybe we'll come to a stage where the government will have to impose a curfew or state of emergency. So far, they have refrained from calling it a state of emergency, although we are very much used to state of emergencies in Turkey for other reasons. This time, the government has shown a little reluctance on calling it a state of emergency. They are more depending on the willingness of people. And if you leave it to people, the outcome is what you're just describing. Let's put it this way. Half of the population is not organizing their life accordingly. accordingly. Right. I think that's a good way to put it. And also, more than half of the population keep their habits as if nothing happened. You know, we asked if, if you kiss people when you bump them on the street or if you, if you shake hands. And, you know, this is still 50-50. Stop kissing people. You know, stop shaking each other's hands. You know, their habits are not changing, like you said. So one meter social distancing is not sacrifice. there. What a big sacrifice for the Turks to not kiss people, you know. Yeah. Another striking aspect of the whole 
crisis management in Turkey since the first days of the outbreak was the president's disappearance from the scene. This is my take on it, at least, because as the citizens of this country, we are very much used to seeing President Erdogan every day on TV and probably uh, more than once or twice every day. I think he did not, he doesn't really want to take the ownership of this crisis. I mean, personally, I'm quite happy with uh, the, seeing the health minister instead of President Erdogan, uh, who is more relevant to talk about uh, the subject and being a doctor himself as well. But it seems to me he doesn't want to be the face of it because he sees the bigger picture that this is very risky in terms of managing politics. This can go either ways. But why is it so striking? I think this is a pattern of his communication. Give me another example that he did the same thing. That sure. he, he used a proxy rather than sure. himself. Uh, when 34 soldiers were uh, killed uh, uh, in Idlib uh, about a month ago, it was the governor of Hatay uh, that made the announcement. It's a very that's recent, that's a very recent uh, example for, uh, you know, to give you. I think this is a pattern in his communication strategy. He refrains from being the face of bad news. He prefers being the deliverer of good news. So I think this is consistent with his communication strategy. And if you look at the press uh, conference that he held on Wednesday, last Wednesday, uh, he basically delivered good news. He, he, he delivered economic relief. He delivered the narrative on how well Turkey was coping uh, with the situation in comparison to other uh, countries, mainly uh, the Western countries. So he, he delivered the positive news. A few hours after that, uh, the Minister of Health had to come out and declare uh, that the, the infected number was uh, 191. So I think this is in line, consistent with his communication strategy. Like he was giving good news rather than bad news. The good news that he was trying to give was actually almost like fake news. It's too early to judge if Turkey is going to come out of this crisis uh, with some benefits. Well, benefits is a tall order on that, I would agree, and I don't think you need to be an economist to, to, to make this judgment. Look, governments everywhere, also in Turkey, are facing a trade-off, and it's a difficult one. So there are two curves that they have to watch for, right? One is of increasing infections, and the other one is deepening recession curve. One is a curve of a medical nature, the other one is a curve of an economic nature. So if you extend the infection curve, meaning if you spread it over time, and so that your health system can cope with it, that means more isolation, more stopping of the economic life, potential lockdown, then you save your health system and you decrease the death toll. But the trade-off, of course, when you spread the infection curve, then you deepen the recession curve because the economic activity stops for a longer period of time, then you start having bankruptcies, then you start having more uh, unemployment. So this is a difficult trade-off. And that's why governments are having a very difficult time in calling this crisis for what it is. Because if you go for a full-blown lockout, you will tremendously improve your infection curve. Absolutely. And your health system will be able to cope with it. But on the trade-off is, of course, your recession curve will deepen significantly as well. So it's a very difficult balance to strike. 
What differs Turkey from other governments is that Turkey has much less fiscal space to accommodate the economic downturn. Canadian Prime Minister last week said... By the way, who was infected himself? Who was infected himself, but you know, he appears uh, young and healthy, so I think he'll get over it. He said that, you know, take care of your health. We have around 100 billion, and that's 3% of our uh, income anyways. We'll take care of the, the cash. Now, Turkey can't really say that, right? Because, quite frankly, we don't have that kind of money, unless if you want to print uh, more money, which will bring, obviously, inflationary uh, pressures. You know, that's a whole different uh, discussion. But, you know, at the core of it, this is the, this is the trade-off. This is the dilemma uh, of the governments. The government called the package that they revealed last week as the Economic Stability Shield Package. By the way, we have to also underline that this package was prepared by some contribution from employer associations as the government presented it. It seems to me the package was based on the assumption that the social distancing measure won't last very long. Coming back to what the the health minister has been saying, first he was talking about three to four weeks. We have already gone 10 days. And then he started talking about one and a half to two months. And then when we are looking at the global examples of this kind of warning, the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was talking about 18 months. I see reports in the US that the the schools will not be opening in the fall season. The health ministry in Turkey only talked about two months for the time being. But then the world leaders started talking about longer periods of time for self-isolation, probably this might actually lead to not opening of the schools in Turkey as well, especially if you are talking about up until summer. So when the situation is this unforeseeable, how rational is it to base a package on the assumption that social distancing is going to last in a few weeks? It would be rational if there is another package that is being prepared as a B scenario. That we don't know. So let us not speculate. But in all likelihood, this appears that it's going to take more than two, three weeks. The current package is obviously is not good enough or large enough to get us over the, the peak or rather say the bottom. Uh, of this uh, crisis, the economic uh, downturn. But then again, government needs to A, create a sense of urgency in the personal hygiene and health side, which it's not doing right now. But on the economy side, it needs to calm the markets and calm the the business people and small uh, businesses. And I I think that's what they're trying to do on the uh, economy side. Now, how effective that is, we will see uh, in the coming days. Let's, let's give the benefit of the doubt and let's see how things unfold in the next, uh, say, 10 days. There are two aspects of that package, which have been there for a long time under the ruling Justice and uh, Development Party. One is the low interest rates and the other one is de facto control exchange rate. These seem to be still central to how they manage the economy during the coronavirus crisis as well. Um, We know the reason why the president has been so persistent on the low interest rates, just like President Trump in the US, despite this intervened exchange rate, as you put it, 
last week we saw um, the dollar coming to the 6.5 band against Turkish lira. So if that was not the case, if there was no intervention from the state, what would have been the real number? Do you have a guess? Last week nobody intervened because Turkey doesn't have the room to intervene anymore. But had it not been intervened in the past year, it probably would have been around 6.2, 6.4 anyways. And now we are actually coming to that level. And now this is out of Turkey's hand because this is about the loss of confidence globally. And US dollar right now is, is a pretty uh, safe place uh, to be. So is this right now is in a way irreversible? I think this rate... You took a deep breath. I did, I did because these are... Uh, you have to be very responsible when you talk about things like this, right? Because a lot of people's uh, livelihood actually depends on this, including my own business. So I, I, I took a deep breath. Let me say this. I think these exchange rates will remain for some time until this fog clears. Unless, of course, you know, if you see extreme uh, scenarios where there are bank runs, which means individuals like us lose complete faith in the system and rush to the banks and try to withdraw uh, all our uh, savings, then that's a different uh, scenario. Uh, but uh, as things stand, I think these exchange rates more or less will, will sustain uh, for some time. Uh, the coronavirus actually has many interesting outcomes. Now the diplomacy and the world affairs is also on hold. I mean, judging by what we were expecting uh, in the course of uh, Turkey's relations with the West, Turkey's relations with the United States, March and April was always predicted to be very critical months, primarily because of the possible sanctions that might have been or will be introduced by the US Congress and also the activation of the S-400 uh, missile defense system. Now my question is, if the coronavirus outbreak is going to put this timeline on hold for a while as well, what is your guess? Yeah, of course. I don't think the Congress actually has this kind of priority right now. But let us not be mistaken, I think it was last week on Thursday or Friday, uh, that the conflict in Idlib intensified. So it's not really stopped. It's just fallen out of the news cycle. Would S-400s or sanctions against Turkey uh, is the priority right now? Would it, would it be uh, at, the, at the agenda? I, I doubt it. But what's happening on the ground in terms of conflict, conflict it's, it's still going on and it's actually intensifying. And I think it's just out of the news cycle. That's why we feel like it's frozen. Obviously, you don't feel like it's frozen because you are the new cycle, but... Uh... Well, I believe it will probably depend on um, how Turkey and Russia are going to manage. Judging by the, the previous statements by President Erdogan and the Russian President Putin, they both said that the system will be activated in April. So I believe if there is an activation in April, if that is not deferred, the US side is going to position themselves accordingly. I don't believe that because there is coronavirus, the Americans are just going to back down from what they have been saying. Maybe um, the sanctions process might take longer, but I don't think anyone in Ankara should be mistaken that the coronavirus is going to change uh, the political position of 
the United States on this. Turkey might just gain a little more time, that's it. I think it's it's perfect time for Turkey to sort of postpone this activation. Well, let's say... Arguably, you could go all the way to the elections. Let's say that we don't know if President Erdogan is going to use this opportunity because through my conversation uh, with so many people from different state institutions, my take on the whole as for 100 purchase is that this was a political decision. This was a political decision of a certain person. This was a political decision of a group of people maybe close to President Erdogan. Uh, my sense of things is not that Turkey has apparently taken an institutional approach towards the purchase of a uh, very important uh, Russian weapon. So coming back to what you were saying, I think it's all up to President Erdogan if he's going to take this opportunity um, to start changing the course of things. No, you're right. I mean, I, I agree completely with your you know, initial observation that this was not an institutional decision, but this was rather decision of a group uh, of, of individuals. But a lot of you know, water has passed under the bridge since that time. So I think it's reasonable to expect at least a re-evaluation of, of, of positions and you know, uh, make use of the uh, moment, which uh, President Erdogan is very... Uh, highly capable of. So let's see uh, what happens. As you were responding to my questions, I realized that we have been talking about all these hard news. Well, it's hard times, so there is no harm in talking about hard news. But there's also social and cultural aspects of coronavirus. And everything is political, by the way. So I'm not going to say let's not talk politics, because when you talk about the social and cultural and the religious response to the virus, they are also falling under some kind of political connotations. What has been striking me in the last week, the people that work for the Turkish soap operas have been making calls to their employers, to anyone that is responsible, to stop filming. Because filming and continuing to film for long hours, and when we talk about long hours, it's quite different than uh, the terms and conditions of Netflix for their workers, for instance. In Turkey, the soap operas are filmed every day, probably more than 10 or 12 hours, depending on the set. So these people, and including the actors, by the way, have been been screaming, have been trying to reach out to the authorities, saying, why don't you ban at least or do something about these sets? And then someone... Who should be responsible in addressing these calls and the concerns uh, by the people on the set says that local staff that is working for, for these soap operas should make sacrifices because people are staying at home, they are watching the soap operas to entertain themselves. We are talking about the head of Turkey's media watchdog. I mean, this must be one of the prime authorities that should be addressing the, the problem. Because at the end of the day, they are not only putting themselves in harm's way, but then they carry the potential to disseminate the virus to the rest of the society. 
This is similar to the late decision of the head of uh, Turkish Football Association to postpone the soccer league, the football league. It took them a long time to actually uh, postpone the league. Everybody's trying to strike a balance. It's very difficult, Jansu, to create a sense of urgency, but refrain from creating a sense of panic. And I think everybody is trying to strike this balance. And the example that you gave, it was badly done, it was poorly done. My fear is that we will soon realize uh, that we actually need a sense of panic. Otherwise, people are not taking the necessary precautions in their uh, everyday life. Uh, since you are the numbers guy, I have some numbers from the Istanbul municipality. Tell me. The mayor of Istanbul last week, Ekrem Imamoğlu, said that too many elderly people in Istanbul still use public transportation. And then he made the statement with a sense of urgency, with a with a sense of worry that this should this should be avoided. According to the numbers Ekrem Imamoğlu gave, more than 500,000 Istanbulites over the age of 65 used public transportation on March 4th. A week later, this number had fallen to 480,000, but still still very high. Yes, I actually do have similar numbers unfortunately, and uh, let me give you the breakdown of the question of are you worried about this virus mm-hmm. with respect to the age age brackets. So there are two groups of people that are predominantly not worried about the virus. The 18 to 24 age bracket and 55 plus age bracket. These groups of people, majority of them are not worried uh, about uh, the virus. Now, why is this happening? I think a number of reasons. Uh, ages between 18-24, they don't know what's going on, right? They're, uh, they are not in the job market. Hang on, hang on. I mean, they are not in the job market, but you're talking about this age population who should be going to the universities or like I don't know. Like yeah, but in all likelihood, they are happy that university is postponed right now, so they can see their friends more often. But we are talking about we are presumably talking about a more educated segment of society who should be following the news and who should be reading articles about this outbreak. Yes, but I, let me repeat myself: eighteen to twenty-four. I mean, go back to those times, and you know, look, there are two things. One, so, so you're assuming that I would be partying if I was 22 right now? Yes, oh my that's what I'm assuming. And I see that you are not really objecting to you this proposition. You don't know me well, John. <laughs> <laughs> so, A, they are not in the job market, so they don't really know what this economic downturn means or what this would mean if the state of social isolation is prolonged. B, they're probably happy that, you know, school is uh, cancelled or postponed, They're probably, you know, uh, seeing their friends more often. And this is understandable. What's difficult to understand is why almost 50% uh, of the people over 55 are not worried about this virus. Because these are the primary risk group. And when you look at 65 plus, 50% of the participants about 65 said, I'm either a little worried or not worried at all. So I go back to my main point. I think the communication has not been done well enough to create the sense of urgency. And the numbers that Mr. Imamoglu actually revealed uh, on elderly people using, using public, transport. public transport actually reinforces this point. Right. We need to create a sense of urgency. TÜİK, which is the official statistical agency of Turkey, revealed um, another study last week. 
and Turkey's elderly population increased by 20 percent since um, 2014. So in the last six years, there's an increase. I mean, this has more connotations, like in in terms of country's economy, in ter- terms of uh, labor force, and all that. But also coming back to the risks of coronavirus, Turkey's elderly popula- population is rising, and if we are going to go through this crisis in the next two years, we should be also ready that this trend of the rising population is going to continue as well. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, the you know Turkish uh, demographic window, we say, is closing, which means that elderly people are, their percentage in the population is increasing, and it will be actually over by uh, 2050. But until then, we will have an increasing share of elderly people in the population, which obviously has a lot of uh, budgetary implications. But from now on, in this new status quo, let me say, it appears now it has more medical uh, implications than it did, say, five years ago. When we talk about the elderly and how the situation unfolded in terms of the corona outbreak in Turkey, there was another story. Uh, The pilgrims uh, who recently traveled to Saudi Arabia for Umrah and uh, we're not talking about the seasonal uh, pilgrimage. We are talking about Umrah, which can this be done. This is off season Hajj. This is off season Hajj, which can be done any time of the year. But especially uh, the elderly in Turkey collect their money for years. That's very special for them. And probably this is why uh, hundreds of pilgrims in Turkey did not delay, did not defer their plans. They went to Saudi Arabia. And some of them are not some of them, like thousands of them are under quarantine right now um, with an official order. I believe we would be doing injustice to us as a society if we start discussing the coronavirus in Turkey along the lines of the lines of this historical polarized camps in Turkey. I'm not going to do that. So uh, in the same poll that I've been talking about since the beginning of the podcast, we asked people, the government took a number of steps and to what extent they agree. And only 42% actually said that they agree with the quarantining of, of people that are coming back from the Umrah. So 42% still, the sense of urgency is not there. Likewise, 45% agree with uh, the quarantining of people that are arriving from Europe. This tells me that the society does not have a good understanding of what we are facing with. For example, as you know, it was uh, 10 days ago or almost two weeks ago that the government stopped prayers in the mosques that required uh, congregation and particularly the Friday prayer. Only 36% of the population finds this right. This number should be much, much higher. Uh, This has to do with the communication strategy. And I think President Erdogan had a very good opportunity last week to create this sense of urgency, but he chose not to. I think he chose not to, and I think that was a missed opportunity, but obviously he can come back uh, at any time to, to make a statement again in the coming days. Well, this is the end of our first episode. Do you have final comments before we say goodbye to our audience? Well, I hope they enjoyed it, and uh, I hope we can talk about more uplifting topics in the uh, weeks to come. And if there are any suggestions for us or any topics that they would like us to discuss, they can reach us at the email address. Info at duarenglish.com Until next time, stay healthy. And don't kiss each other.
Try to wave to each other from a distance. Or elbow bump. That's an option. As a final note, I would like to thank my dear friend, great musician, Turkish musician Aykut Gürel, for composing our original intro music and giving it as a gift to Dua English as part of his support uh, to the independence media in Turkey. And we salute Aykut from here and thanks for being a part of our project.